It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. But first, we start with the federal government moving to ban many models of hunting, rifles, and shotguns. What is the deal with this? Remember... The Justin Trudeau government said they were moving to ban assault-style, military-style weapons. Then they bring out this banned list, and it has many hunting firearms on the list. Got conservative MP Raquel Dancho standing by. Have a listen to Justin Trudeau. He's getting an earful on this from across the country here. Is he going to back down on this and banning these hunting firearms? Have a listen to what he said the other day. We're hearing a lot of feedback around concerns that uh, hunters uh, are saying about guns that they use more for hunting or uh, hunting rifles or shotguns. Uh, and that's what we're listening to feedback on now to make sure that we're not capturing uh, weapons that are uh, primarily hunting weapons. Okay, are they really listening to the feedback? And we just have to look down that band list. There's a lot of hunting firearms on that list. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Conservative MP Raquel Dancho. I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Raquel Dancho, thank you for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you again, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for doing this. You've been on the, the front lines of this one here, going after the government on this. Can you give me your take on, on this uh, this issue? And what did you think of what Trudeau said there? He says he's listen, they're listening to feedback on this. Well, I don't believe the Prime Minister at all. And quite, in fact, he was quite in, uh, equivocal when he said that he would not be changing the definition of what he deems, uh, as you said, a quote, military-style assault weapon, which in fact encompasses many commonly used hunting rifles. So he said publicly that he will not be budging on that. It sounds like he may be making a small exemption list of some kind on the very extensive list that goes along with uh, this amendment that the government put forward for their Bill C-21, which, as you'll remember, Mike, was originally sold to Canadians as a handgun freeze or ban. Uh, and then at the 11th hour, very end stage, they put in this in unbelievable amendment that really is the largest hunting rifle ban in Canadian history. What are you hearing from people across the country on this? Because it sounds to me like this has reached beyond kind of partisan politics between the Liberals and the ND and the Conservatives. I mean, you've got the NDP questioning this now, the Bloc Québécois, First mm -hmm. Nations. What are your thoughts on the backlash? Yeah, certainly, I, I would agree with you. They're getting a lot of backlash, particularly, uh, for example, from the Premier of the Northwest Territories as well. And as you said, the Assembly of First Nations, as well as the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Peoples, as you mentioned as well, the NDP. And of course, Conservatives were the first to sound the alarm on this. And there's just a lot of upset amongst the firearms community, whether you're a hunter or a farmer or even a, a World War One, World War Two collector or a sports shooter, target shooter, all, all of those different individual groups are really feeling the pain of this. And they're very upset and they feel 
yet again, this is uh, the prime minister uh, and the Liberal Party leader attacking a group of people that are very law-abiding. They're tested, vetted, and trained. Uh, And it looks to us as conservatives that the Liberal prime minister is looking to change the channel from his failed record on public uh, public safety. We see a 32% increase in violent crime and 92% increase in gang-related homicides since he took office seven years ago. We know that there's a gun smuggling handgun issue from the U.S. coming into cities like Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal. That is where the violent crime is coming from. And yet hunters and farmers are saying to us, why are they attacking us? Why are they trying to attack our way of life? Mm-hmm. Let me play a clip here for you from uh, Justin Trudeau again here. This is in the House of Commons the other day. You were questioning him here on this ban of these hunting hunting firearms on this list. And here is his response, and then I'll get your thoughts. Justin Trudeau. We know that a responsible approach to keeping our communities safe needs to have multiple facets, and that's exactly what we're doing. By uh, freezing the market on handguns, by investing more in CBSA so they can interdict illegal firearms coming into this country, and, yes, moving forward to ensure uh, that it is no longer legal to buy, sell, own, or use uh, military-style assault weapons in this country, something the Conservative Party wants to reverse. Okay, so he continues to stick to the the military style assault weapons that this is what they're banning. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I, it doesn't seem to be in any dispute at all that this list contains hunting firearms. Correct. Correct. So for the yeah. first uh, three weeks of this debate, so when they first brought this forward in an underhanded way at the 11th Hour Committee, they said that we were just spreading misinformation. But then, of course, all these other groups came out uh, in support of our position and uh, our protest against this. And so it's and even the CBC's written articles outlining a number of the commonly used hunting rifles in, uh, involved in this ban. So now that they are backed into a corner, now they're saying, oh, well, we'll look at it. But as I mentioned, yeah. he's not really looking at it. And what I would say as well, uh, the uh, the original buyback that he brought forward, the confiscation regime, about two and a half years ago, commonly referred to as the OIC by the hunting and, and firearms community, uh, that involved, uh, some estimates will say that there's about $5 billion that it'll cost just to buy back, let alone to administer that confiscation regime. Now you pile all this on top, which there's no guarantee. They have not said that they would compensate firearms owners for seizing their property in this regard. But if they do, we're looking at uh, billions and billions of dollars. If they want to talk about border security, think of all the good that would do to bolster our border. That, again, is having yeah. is really the impact on, on firearm violence in this country from handguns being smuggled in by gangsters. So but it's a really misplaced priorities, Mike. Let me ask you about the politics of this, because I think there's a lot of politics going on. And I wonder if you and your colleagues in the Conservative Party think that, you know, that maybe this is a trap, that this is a a trap by the Liberal Party here designed to draw you guys into opposing what they're doing on, on gun control, that they would deliberately draw up a list that would in- deliberately include hunting some hunting firearms, because they want you to oppose their gun control measures because they think that's good politics for them and that you guys have risen to the bait here and this is this is exactly what they want you to do. Well, two things. Uh, certainly the Liberals have tried to use firearms uh, and successfully in many regards, I'll give them that, in the last couple of elections. But now that they've come after hunting rifles, I think it does set a different tone. And we're really standing as a Conservative Party on principle in defense of the centuries-old hunting culture we have. Uh, actually, well, it's millennia old. We talk about uh, First Nations, Indigenous communities. But 
certainly for centuries we've used hunting rifles to uh, protect our, our, our livestock and to feed our families. And it's a very proud part of our Canadian culture and our identity and the freedoms enjoyed, particularly in rural northern Canada. So on principle, we're standing up against yeah. this ban. And it's, again, we see so many different groups from different areas coming together and standing against this. So we'll continue to lead that fight. And we'll see. I mean, I think the mark of a good leader would be to recognize that he's overreached and to pull this yeah. back. It's very clear they've made a mess of this. So I would, I would ask that the Liberals do the right thing and pull this back and uh, do the proper consultations across the country that they failed to do. Last question for you. Let me ask you about the drama in the House of Commons last week when the, the Speaker of the House removed you from the House after you yeah. accused a, a Liberal MP of lying on this file. Even though you withdrew the comment, he still, he still booted you out here. Let's have a listen to that exchange here, and then I'll get your thoughts. I'm going to ask one more time for her to apologize, the Honourable Member, for Kildonan St. Paul. She's not going to apologize. Thank you. Ms. Danchel. I order you withdraw from the House video conferences for the remainder of this day's sitting. Okay, I, I'm, I've seen MPs being asked, many times being asked to withdraw comments, but when, is, is that typical that you'd be required to apologize on top of it? Because you did withdraw it, right? But then he wanted you to apologize. Is that typical? Usual? Yes. Well, no, no. The apology part is, is not required under our procedure. Certainly I withdrew right away. Uh, that was the right thing to do. Uh, but then after that, then he asked me to apologize. And it was just yeah. sort of, you really was staring me down and almost trying to bully and humiliate me in front of everyone. And frankly, I'm, I'm not one to be bullied or pushed around. So I just stood on principle and said, no, I was true. I'm not apologizing. I, I said the truth. They are lying about this and really stuck to my guns. And, and ultimately, I was removed from the House of Commons for the day. And I went and, and uh, I did that. And Certainly, again, I, I, they've been misleading the public for so long on this now for three solid weeks, and uh, we've had enough of it. And I'm, I think I really channeled a lot of the frustration I've been hearing on the phones uh, and in the emails and the communications from hunters and farmers and sportsmen across the country for uh, quite some time now and lost my cool a little bit, which is why I was sure that was the right thing to do. But again, I will not be bullied or intimidated yeah. uh, or humiliated, and I will stick to my guns when I'm, when I'm pushed into a corner, and um, I did that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your time today. Thanks so much, Mike, for having me. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the future of policing in the city of Surrey now. The city of Surrey, Surrey City Council, led by Mayor Brenda Locke, they want to keep the RCMP in Surrey, slam the brakes 
on this new Surrey Police Service. Last week, the city delivered a draft report that estimates it would cost an additional $32 million a year to taxpayers in the city of Surrey to keep going forward with this new police service. They say it would be much, much cheaper to keep the RCMP. That report is in front of Surrey City Council tonight. Meanwhile, the new Surrey Police Service is issuing its own report today, disputing many of these figures and assumptions. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Norm Lipinski, Chief of the Surrey Police Service, and I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Chief Lipinski, thank you for coming on today. Most welcome, Mike. Okay, thank you. So let's talk about the response now from the Surrey Police Service to this report from the city. This report from Mayor Brenda Locke and, and the rest of the council and staff over there says it would be a lot more expensive to keep going forward with your police department. You're disputing that? Yes, we definitely are. I think uh, this report is uh, incomplete in some circumstances, and I believe there's inaccurate assumptions. I recognize that uh, it was put together in a short period of time, but we didn't have a chance to consult with the city. I think what should have occurred is the two parties get together, perhaps our financial people, and uh, really look at the numbers and uh, discuss the various interpretations of those numbers. But we disagree with those numbers. Okay, when you, when you say you did not get a chance to consult, so the city put together this report. They didn't come and sit down with you guys and talk about it? No, they did not. Uh, they have some of our numbers. Uh, when I say consult, I mean exactly what you just said, is getting into the room and let's look at these uh, various uh, numbers. And recognizing that this is unprecedented, it's unique, and so how does one interpret some of the nuances? That's what's important here. From our perspective, when you're talking about the $235 million over five years, uh, wow. to us and our modeling, it's half of that. It's uh, our figures say around $99 million. Right, so they're saying it would cost Surrey taxpayers an additional $235 million over five years to keep your police force. So you don't dispute it would be more expensive, but you're saying just not as expensive as the city is alleging. Yes, there's a couple of points here right. I'd like to make. Number one, initially sure. we, were, we were told it was $500 million, as you recall, and uh, we had a look at that, and we just couldn't figure out how anybody would come up with $500 million. Now it's 235, and we have a report. And we looked at some of the assumptions, uh, and we feel that uh, there's some inaccuracies there. And we feel some of it is incomplete, and uh, we could have assisted if we were consulted in that regard. And when you're talking about the expense of the SPS, uh, perhaps it's uh, it's for another show, but let's not assume that you're getting the same type of policing. Uh, what we offer is a different model of policing, and we offer the local governance, which is so, so important, the accountability through a police board. Let me ask you about how many, the difficulties of going back and forth like this, and if they went back to the RCMP, how many members of your new Surrey police force would be willingly patch over, as they say, and join the Mounties? Because the city is saying that, well, a lot of the existing police force that you've hired would happily join the RCMP if they decide to go that way. You don't think that is the case? 
And uh, you're well aware that uh, 94, now it's 95 because more people have signed up to say that they would not uh, patch over and go to the RCMP. Uh, We have people from 26 different agencies here. We have more municipal police officers than RCMP. And uh, if you think about uh, the paradigm of a municipal police officer, they came to a municipal agency for a reason. We have RCMP people here as well, of course, and they left the RCMP for a reason. I note in the report that uh, they estimate upwards to, I believe it's 170 or 180, potentially could leave the SPS. Uh, we don't think that's, uh, that's feasible. We don't think that's uh, an accurate number. And I recognize that it's up to that number, but I would think that very, very few would uh, patch over. So when, when you say 95, you mean 95% of your officers to your knowledge and understanding, would not want to join the RCMP. Yes, uh, that is correct. And people have uh, various reasons for that. And uh, what we have to keep in mind here is that we talk about the finances, we talk about governance and structure, but let's talk about the people. I've got 375 employees. They will all be terminated. And uh, I've got a lot of people from out of province. Uh, These people came here, sold their houses in another province, came here, incurred debt, and uh, here they are. They wanted to join the SPS, not some other agency. They came here in good faith. And um, there's a human side to this. That is so, so important. And sometimes, sometimes it gets lost in all the discussion about the money and the structure and the timing of the transition. Well, speaking of money, if all those officers and staff were fired, as you said, would they be eligible to collect severance payments? Absolutely. So in the collective agreement, there is a a clause, a letter of understanding, and uh, our estimation is that with the 18 months uh, depending on the scenario, it could be upwards to 81 million that the city would be paying. And one of the things that's missing in the report is there's an additional costing. And uh, the Employment Standards Act would apply in this case. And uh, depending again on the scenario, that could be upwards to 10, 11, 12 weeks more pay per member. And that, of course, is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars as well. So there's a two-part to this on the severance. The collective agreement and B is the Employment Standards Act. Depending on how the scenario would, would uh, unfold and depending on the interpretation. But there's big money involved here. Speaking of Norm Lipinski, Chief of the Surrey Police Service, fighting to keep the SPS in place there in Surrey. In the face of this city council report, they want to go back to the RCMP. That report will be in front of city council tonight. Uh, Chief Lipinski, what about all the money that has already been spent as a part of this transition that's been going on for a couple of years now? Like, I know you spent a lot of money on IT, you know, computer equipment, vehicles, uniforms. Like, how much money has already been spent that's effectively down the drain and lost if they go back to the RCMP? 
Yes, uh, there's two parts to this. First of all, obviously, there's the cost of the SPS, which we discussed, and uh, we argue against the numbers. The second part of this is the cost of reversal, and it is the what we call the sunk cost, the investment. Yeah. We've spent uh, $107 million all in. And by way of example, you mentioned IT. We've spent $17 million on IT, and I'm advised that that $17 million in IT is not compatible with the RCMP systems. Uh, that's why we bought it, because we're not part of their system, and it's uh, a different way of doing business, and it's a different server platform than the federal government has. So if you look at the $107 million plus the severance, uh, $81 million, you're pushing uh, $188 million that uh, we've already spent on this project. And uh, to unwind it would be uh, costly again because there would be a lot of people working on all the logistics of doing it. So uh, we're talking some high, high numbers here. What's your bottom line message to the people of Surrey, the taxpayers of Surrey, and also to the provincial government? Because this whole mess is going to end up back in the lap of the Solicitor General, Mike Farnworth, again. This will be his call if they want to do another flip-flop and go back to the RCMP here after we're two years down the road with your police force. So for people who are hearing this message from the city of Surrey saying, look, you know, we're still better off with the RCMP, it will be cheaper. What is your message to the people of BC and to the province there as you fight to, to keep your, your guys in place? Number one is that we offer a different policing model. So let's um, be cautious about making the assumption that it's the same type of policing. Number two is we've been at this for two years. I have personally been here for two years, and the project has been worked on really for about four years which is to say that it's way too far down the road to reverse it. 375 employees, we've got a structure, we've got policies, we've got equipment, we've got $107 million in sunk costs, uh, there's severance costs uh, that will be incurred if you reverse it, uh, there's people that will be losing their jobs, all of my people. Um, this is not in the best interests of Surrey, and uh, the question also comes up about what happens in four years. Does that mean the council, if there is a new council, can vote to go back to the municipal model? At some point, one has to make a decision that based on what is in the best interest of policing in Surrey as well as the province, that um, I feel that we are way down the road, too far down the road to reverse it. Okay, we're following it closely, to say the least. Thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Mike. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. All right, welcome back. Following the breaking news at this hour, as projected here earlier on the show, ICBC is uh, filing for a two-year rate freeze. A two-year 
rate freeze on your auto insurance premiums. That made official just a very short time ago by Premier David Eby. Let's check in with Aaron Sutherland now, Vice President of the Insurance Bureau of Canada. They represent private insurance companies in the country. Aaron, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Okay. Are you surprised in any way that ICBC now freezing auto insurance rates for, they're, they're saying at least two years, maybe longer than that. Your thoughts? Yeah, the, the two-year time period's a little bit surprising. I, I would question that because, you know, these rate applications from ICBC are really the only time we get a bit of a glimpse as to what's really going on um, at the Crown Insurer. And, and I would point out, you know, yes, freezing rates, okay, that's good for drivers. You know, I'm one of them. Pleased to see that. But we all need to remember how this is being achieved. And there hasn't been any improvement at ICBC that's allowing for this. In fact, all of this is coming because of a massive reduction uh, in the quality of coverage that ICBC provides. You know, we have a new no-fault system that brings strict limits on benefits, no ability to sue if you disagree with what you're getting. And as a result, I think we're seeing a lot of those stories more and more in the media where people are coming forward and really questioning the quality of, of coverage that they're getting. So, no, not entirely surprised they're freezing rates. Um, but again, it's important to note how they're doing this, uh, which is often often missed today. And, and how can they freeze rates for two years when they're losing money i mean icbc is losing money this year are they not yeah so you know <laughs> you know new insurance system same old icbc um icbc this year is projecting a 298 million dollar loss that'll flow directly to the province's bottom line uh we've seen that story before and so i, I you know I, I do think on the basic side okay they're freezing rates they've cut benefits i'd really question what's happening with optional auto insurance rates uh, ICBC's faced a lot of pressure there. I didn't see anything on that today, um, but my suspicion is that over the next two years, those rates are definitely going to be going up if they didn't go up today as well. I'm taking a look at just some of the numbers here in ICBC's balance sheet here, Aaron. And yeah, $298 million loss at ICBC is projected this year. Revenues are down like $625 million over the last four months. Vehicle number of vehicles registered with new insurance that is slowed down. Claims costs have gone up despite no fault here in the last year. Unpaid balances. Oh, their investments are down. Every, well, everybody's investments are down these days, but ICBC's investment portfolio has really taken a beating here. So losing money, but they freeze rates anyway. What is yeah. that? Was that po- politics? What is that? <laughs> Your words, not mine. Uh, but you might have hit the nail on the head there. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, ICBC, per their last financial projections, which just came out in November, so they're, they're fresh, uh, showed that they were losing 11.5 cents for every dollar of insurance that they sold. So a rate freeze may not be sustainable. We will have to see. Um, they are losing money today. But, but again, it's, it's how they are justifying this rate freeze you know, what's going on at ICBC, um, ICBC has massively reduced the amount they provide in coverage. You know, last year, under the first yeah. year of no fault, they paid 30% less in claims than they did the year before, despite a significant increase in accidents. And when you look at wow. what's going on at ICBC internally, their operations have gone in the exact opposite direction. ICBC, since it was first described as a financial dumpster fire just a few years ago, they have grown by 25%, and they are now spending 25% more on their internal operations, things like salaries, benefits, what have you. 
which is the exact opposite of what you would expect a company to be doing, given the financial challenges they have faced and continue to face today. Um, they spend far more on their operations than the private sector average, which tells me, yes, you know, you know, rates have improved. That's good. But is it good enough? We haven't seen any improvement at ICBC, and it's pretty clear that if drivers are given the opportunity to shop around, uh, they could see significant savings. And when I think about the consumer affordability challenges we have in this province, that's what I'd like to see. Let's let ICBC put their money where their mouth is, give drivers the opportunity to shop around and see if they can't find further improvements um, by going with somebody else. Mm. Speaking of Aaron Sutherland, Insurance Bureau of Canada, the breaking news at this hour, a two-year rate freeze at ICBC. So your auto insurance premiums, your increase, there would be 0% for the next two years under this rate freeze just announced by Premier David Eby. Uh, do you think, like, as you mentioned, we're, we've got a no-fault auto insurance system here in the province right now. Everybody loves lower premiums. But what if you were seriously injured in an accident? What are you hearing from people who are injured uh, and how they have to deal with ICBC now if they're badly injured in a car crash under no fault? You know, unfortunately, I'm, I'm hearing the same thing we heard for many years, uh, only it's getting a whole lot worse. Is ICBC has a lot more control now. They can dictate, you know, exactly what it is that you get. And in many instances, they're getting it wrong. And so you're seeing people coming forward with severe injuries uh, having a, either having a really difficult time navigating the system or, uh, more often, not getting what they need to recover. And that really calls into question the purpose of insurance. It is there to make sure you get what you need to recover from your accident and your vehicle gets repaired. Uh, unfortunately, under no fault, that's more and more being called into question. Okay, so now let's go, let's go back to the private option that you were just describing there. So you, you're saying that ICBC, if things are as, as great as David Eby is saying, they should have no problem in just putting their mouth, money where their mouth is and just, you know, compete against private sector. So you're, you're saying don't shut down ICBC, let them continue to operate, but just allow private insurance companies to offer basic insurance product and compete against them, correct? Yeah, yeah well, look, uh, ICBC spends 30% more on its internal operations and its operating expenses generally than the private sector average, which tells me other companies are much more efficient, they're more innovative, uh, and they find ways to save drivers money. And, and look, that's something, regardless what the system is, no fault, the previous system, um, you know, there are savings available if you are given the opportunity to find them. Unfortunately, in BC, you have no choice. You have to purchase from ICBC. You can't shop around like you can elsewhere. Uh, and you can't find those savings. And when I look at the ballooning operating costs at ICBC and the massive amounts uh, that it is spending and continues to increase in spending on its own internal operations, that tells me there's savings to be had if you got, found someone that could sell it to you a bit more efficiently. You know, as a case in point, last year, first year of no fault, ICBC spent more on its operating expenses than it did on injury claims for its customers. That is crazy to me. Why have we got a monopoly spending more money on itself than it is helping people recover from their injuries? You know, that doesn't make any sense. And again, I think if we were able to go with somebody else, we could all save a little bit of money, and that's what this is all about. All right, talking about the ICBC rate freeze, it's official now. This has been announced by Premier David Eby here in the last few minutes. A two-year rate freeze on your auto insurance premiums. No ICBC rate hike for two years. Aaron Sutherland is my guest, Insurance Bureau of Canada. Lots of calls. John in the North Shore. Hi, John, go ahead. 
have a business where we've got trucks, we've got, uh, you know, insurance for our, our vehicles that we get to work with. You know, I've got a motorcycle. My buddy in Ontario for one of our trucks, which I pay upwards of 2000 a year for, he's paying 1100 bucks for the exact same insurance in Ontario. And so when we opened up our business in BC, the first thing we realized was if we were going to insure the business and our house and everything else, besides the stuff that we have to insure here, we go to Ontario. It's a fraction of the cost for business insurance, and the policies are massive coverage. Okay, thank you for that. Aaron, is, is insurance cheaper outside of BC? I mean, if, if I see BC was here right now, they would argue the other, the other side of it and say it's actually cheaper here, but your thoughts? Well, look, we, we have a no-fault insurance system here, so you really have to compare no-fault to no-fault because you can't sue. It's got strict ben- limits on benefits. So the only places you can compare BC to to get an apples-and-apples comparison are places like Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Quebec. Quebec, you can shop around uh, for your coverage under a no-fault system, and drivers in Quebec pay the lowest auto insurance premiums in this country full stop. They're about 25% less than what we pay here in BC. I think that speaks to the benefits of competition. But there's other things as well, and I think what your what your caller is talking about, uh, John, uh, you know, other companies give you a multi-vehicle discount. They let you bundle your business and auto insurance, things like that yeah. that can save you money. ICBC doesn't do that. If you own two cars, you're, paying, you're not getting any discount for doing that. You can't possibly drive them both at the same time, uh, but ICBC yeah. won't recognize that. Tom and Logan Lake. Hi, Tom. Go ahead. Morning. Uh, perhaps your guest could clarify something for me. I'm looking at my uh, insurance papers, ICBC insurance, and I see here third-party liability, and I've got $2 million, and I'm paying, it looks like, $21 short. What am I paying for? Um, Aaron? You're, you know, you're, you, most of your money is, more of it's going towards ICBC's operations. That's what most of your bill is paying for, and less of it's going towards uh, the event that you actually get into a claim. But for third-party liability, because you can't sue here, that's typically uh, if you create cause property damage, you know, you, you crash into a building or something that, that costs uh, costs money to repair, or you're driving outside the province. Um, that, that's you, can still, you can still hire a lawyer and sue in some cases, right? Like if you are injured by a drunk driver, for example, you're still allowed to sue for damages, right? Yeah. If there's criminal negligence, I would just yeah. suggest those instances are so few and far between that the, the suggestion that we have anything other than no fault model um, yeah. is 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 a little bit silly. And this similar to the suggestion that, you know, despite the fact that ICBC spends 30 percent less on claims, that is somehow enhanced care. Uh, this is all branding rather than actual fact. Earl in Parksville. Hi, Earl. Go ahead. Hi. The uh ICBC is wasteful, inefficient, and too bureaucratic, a typical government-run thing. One example, smashed my windshield in the prairies. Uh, I didn't have insurance here in B.C. Phoned uh, the uh, supplier in, 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 on the island. $740 is what's needed. Got it done in Calgary. $280. Same company, different branch of it. Check with ICBC here. Definitely, they charge seven forty. Uh, there's a big profit being made. Somebody is not being straight with ICBC. I I wrote a letter to the uh, minister in charge and to the president of ICBC with a proof of all of this. 
I got a perfunctory form letter back from a, 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 a an underling, sort of like, don't bother us. We know what we're doing. Don't worry. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Aaron, does that make any sense to you, what you just described there? Yeah, well, look, monopolies are rarely known for their efficiency or their effectiveness, uh, and I think ICBC is no exception. Um, look, we've got a rate freeze today. That's good. But I would question, is it good enough? We're all feeling the pinch because of inflation uh, and the affordability challenges we're facing. There are other options out there. Um, we're just simply not able to have access to them. And it's pretty clear to me drivers could start saving uh, quite a bit of money if given the ability to, to shop around for the best coverage at the best price. I continue to question today why they are denied that in this province. Paul in South Surrey. Hi, Paul. Go ahead. Hi, thank you very much. I think, you know, the government, it's obvious. I mean, the ICBC scandal riddle, and they, the government shouldn't be in business. Right, they're over their head. They can't run things efficiently, and they have no business doing it. And furthermore, so a two-year wait rate in uh, freeze in two years. Let's see what DB will do to the rates then, because you that you cannot stifle or manipulate free markets. It it just won't happen. So then they'll double or. You know, the price is only going to go up. You can't hide that fact. And when government gets involved, it's always going to go up. Well, it's frozen for two years. Aaron Sutherland, your thoughts? I would simply say we've seen this before where ICBC's rates gets frozen uh, and they push the problems down the road and they get all the bigger. Um, and so I think today the big question is, you know, how are I, how is this going to impact ICBC's financials over the longer term? What is it going to mean two years from now? Uh, and also what's going on in optional rates? I, you know, when they brought in no fault, they brought in other tweaks that forced other companies out of the market to, to, to diminish what little competition there was. Um, and so now you on the optional coverage, you have very little choice. You typically go have to go with ICBC. And I'd say, you know, what's happening there? Are we seeing increases there? I haven't heard any mention of that today. Squeeze in one more call. George in Coquitlam. George, you got 30 seconds. I just want to tell you about the waste. I settled with ICBC. It was in an accident. Uh, they dragged me through three meetings of discoveries. They hired an outside law firm. We still got the money at the end, but uh, my wife right now is trying to settle, and they told us they got 3,000 claims. They're taking their time with this no fault. Just a waste of time. We need private business to come in. Okay, I don't think that you will ever see a private insurance option in British Columbia on an, under an NDP government. Aaron, that's I put that to you. Like they just will never do it if the NDP are in, in charge. Your thoughts? You got thirty seconds here. I think we've seen pretty clearly they're they're trying to fix the system. Uh, that's where they're driving the savings fund from for drivers. Look, I'm not going to pretend the rates haven't come down. I think that's a good thing. But I would yeah. really question what's going on at ICBC itself. I haven't seen ICBC okay. improve its own operations to derive any savings for drivers. And that's where it doesn't matter who's in power. Those savings are still out there. We just have to let people get to them. And that means more competition Thank you. and more choice. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.